0: I have a story to share with you. The British Columbian government heard that some farms were growing illegal marijuana. So they authorized some agents to go and investigate. This one agent went to a farmer and he told him why he was there to investigate if he has illegal marijuana on the land. The farmer said, fine, but don't go in the fenced area of the, of the pasture. Stay away from it. He said, what? You see this badge? It gives me the authority to go anywhere I want. Look at it. There's my badge from the government of British Columbia. So the farmer didn't say anything. A little while later, he heard this agent yelling for help. He looked out and his bull was chasing him. So the farmer said, show him your badge. Show him your (laughs) badge. There are people that don't want to hear. All he would have had to ask is why. There are people that want to close their eyes to the truth that's not pleasant. God said, if you don't obey the voice of the Lord thy God to all, to do all that he commands you, then all these curses will come upon you. And that was not only for Israel, but it's a principle for our country as well. And when our country and America have disregarded the plain scripture, they've caused themselves difficulty. There's a lot of pessimism. In fact, The Americans are very angry because of some of the circumstances they're facing. At a high school graduation service, a guest speaker told the students, life will not be as easy for you as it was for your parents. Don't expect a good paying job, even if you get a university degree. You can expect a lower standard of living in your future. But it really doesn't matter, he said, since we will all be cremated in a nuclear blast. Therefore, he said, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will all be dust. I don't know who would invite that speaker to speak to college students, but there are many who are pessimistic. You may not know this, but today the news announced that North Korea has successfully launched a missile from a submarine that can put everyone in the world in danger. The author, Jonathan Schnell, wrote, if the unthinkable becomes thinkable, that there is a nuclear war, you will be dead, you and you, all of you, reading this book will be dead, your children, your grandchildren, and your grandchildren to infinity. No one will ever dig down through the layers of death where there will be no one to dig. Now you may say, "Well, the Cold War is over." I'm not quite sure about that. When I read about what Russia is doing in in building uh, nuclear missile, nuclear submarines capable of firing missiles, and not only that, we are in a very dangerous time. But the good news is the promise of the king, the promise of God. And uh, the scriptures actually, the prophecies had dealt with two comings of the Messiah: the coming first and the coming second. First, he came to be the savior, and secondly, he comes to be the conqueror and the king. We want to think about his first coming primarily today. In Matthew 21, verse 4 to 10, we read this. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. It's amazing how many Old Testament prophecies are in the New Testament. So many people disregard that. But if you were to take a scissor and cut out all the References of the Old Testament, you wouldn't have much New Testament left. Saying, "Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your King is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey." So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, the city was moved. People were asking, who is this? Well, we want to answer the question, who is this? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Who is he? And we're going to go into three evaluations. We're going to, first of all, scrutinize the character of Jesus of Nazareth. Secondly, we're going to scrutinize the agenda of Jesus of Nazareth. What was the agenda for his first coming? And what is the agenda for his second coming? And thirdly, we're going to scrutinize the agenda of Jesus of Nazareth. So we're going to uh, scrutinize the identity, the character, and the agenda. So let's first of all look at the identity of Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of David. Now both Joseph and Mary... Were from the lineage of King David. You have Joseph's genealogy in Matthew, in Luke you have Mary's genealogy. Both came from King David. In First Chronicles seventeen eleven, God made a covenant with King David, and it shall be King. It shall be King David, when your days are fulfilled when you must go to be with your fathers, then I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. This wasn't Solomon, because Solomon was born and became king while David was still alive. This was a prophecy that after he would go to be with his fathers, he would die, that God would raise up one of his descendants. He shall build me a house, And I will establish his throne forever. So how could he have a throne forever? He has to be an eternal Messiah. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you, King Saul. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. This is Messiah is an eternal Messiah, according to the prophecy of the word. And his throne shall be established forever. So the covenant identifies that the descendant of David will also be the son of God. Now, the Jewish people, in 2,000 years ago, expected the Messiah would come in glory and power with an army of holy angels to destroy Gentile domination. But unfortunately, they did not have a complete picture of the prophecies of scripture. They did not understand that the Jewish prophets spoke of two comings. Each coming had its own agenda. First, he would come to reconcile men and women, boys and girls, with the Heavenly Father to bring the kingdom of God within the heart of the believers. Secondly, he would come to bring the kingdom of God in the world. He is the promised one. Now, the population of Jerusalem recognized, should have recognized him, because of a miracle sign. Now, he performed many miracles, but this is a miracle sign. Listen to Zechariah 9.9. This is a Jewish prophet from the Tanakh. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and riding on a donkey a colt, the foe of a donkey. A newly born unweaned foe of a beast of burden would carry the king into Jerusalem. This is not a natural thing. I mean the coat is untrained. And, uh, but it is a miracle sign that the rider, is not coming on a white horse the first time, coming on the coat of a donkey. And that that donkey would allow him to ride on her. And you know, the Lord showed compassion because he said, bring both the donkey and its coat. He respected the maternal instinct of the donkey and the need of the colt. If he could so be sensitive to their need, how much more is he sensitive to our need? Now Isaiah also referred to the sign of a miracle in Isaiah one. The donkey knows his master, but Israel does not know. My people does not consider So Isaiah said that the donkey will have more spiritual insight than my people Israel. They will know his owner, his master. Now usually kings and conquerors ride on white horses. Alexander the Great, who lived 400 years before the birth of Yeshua, came as a mighty conqueror with a powerful army. History tells us that he destroyed many cities before he surrounded Jerusalem. He threatened the city but never carried out his threats. Before Alexander arrived, the Jewish high priest had a dream from God that he should dress in his priestly robes and go out and meet Alexander. Alexander, outside the city, also had a dream that he would see this scene of these Jewish priests, and he spared the city. But the city welcomed him with the branches of trees. 200 years later, the Syrian king, Antiochus, who ruled Judah for a short time, made it a crime for Jews to own a Hebrew scripture, for Jews to circumcise their sons, for Jews to eat kosher. He made it a crime punishable by death. He placed the image of Zeus in the temple of God. He filled the chambers around the holy place with prostitutes and offered a pig on the altar of the temple, which was predicted by Daniel, by the way, that he would do this. Judas Maccabeus defeated the Syrians, entered in Jerusalem on a white horse, along with his mighty warriors. The population welcomed him with the waving of palms and shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the population in Jerusalem gave Yeshua the greeting that was reserved for a conquering hero, a conquering king, expecting a forthcoming call to arms against the Roman occupation. You see, that's what they were looking for. There was insurrection in the air. In fact, at one time, there were men, after they had the eating of the fish and the few loaves of bread, Miraculous multiplication of food. They wanted to take Jesus by force and make him king. They wanted him to do that, but that was not God's will for his first coming. That's why we should scrutinize the agenda of Jesus of Nazareth. The people of Israel had one agenda, a political agenda. They wanted to be free from the bondage and domination of Rome and the Gentiles. And so they were ready for that. It was for political liberation. They cried out in Matthew 21.9, Hosanna to the son of David. They acknowledged he could be the son of David that they were looking for. What does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means save us now. <laughs> Deliver us from Roman oppression. We who live in a free country can't fully understand political oppression. Leo Tolstoy illustrated political oppression. He wrote it, It is as if I jumped on a man's back and held onto his neck with a stranglehold, insisting he take me everywhere. I might convince others and myself that I felt sorry for him, but not sorry enough to get off his back. In the first century, Rome was on the back of the Jewish people. And they not only dominated them, but they taxed them exceptionally extreme. Now, we notice there was a change of attitude with the population of Jerusalem. In one week, there was a change of attitude. They were yelling, welcome, welcome. Hosanna, save us now, son of David, we acknowledge you, be our king. But that was not why he came. You know, the rejection of God as king is not something new with our people Israel. Listen to 1 Samuel 8, verse 6. But the thing displaced Samuel when the people said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So that our Jewish people have failed to recognize God's sovereignty. In the days of Samuel, Now, I wondered why God, that the people ignored God's agenda. But you know, it's not hard to do. Some years ago, a woman came to my church, and at every altar call, she'd come and pray. I wondered why she was praying every time. She was married to a doctor, She helped him through medical school, through internship. She was very domineering as a person. And she asked her husband one day, because he didn't want to do what she wanted in a particular situation, they should have a trial separation. He didn't want to do that. But she said, look, we're going to have a trial separation. And so he left. And she thought he'd come back on his hands and knees and beg her to forgive him. But he didn't show up. She kept waiting and he didn't show up. So she finally went to the hospital to talk to him. And he said, you know, I was not in favor of this separation at first, but the first night after I was separated, I woke up in the morning and I, Heard the, be- the birds singing. I felt peace in my heart. He said, I'm not coming back. So she decided to get religion. That maybe God would get him back. So every time she'd come to the altar, she'd pray that her husband would come back to her. But instead he divorced her. Then she got mad at God and gave up religion because she couldn't manipulate God. So sometimes we have our own agenda. Rather than saying, God, thy will be done, we say, Lord, we want you to do for us what we want you to do. Now, the king's agenda was to bring personal salvation to those who would accept him. Listen, if all who are poor were made rich, If all who suffer were relieved of pain, if all who are politically oppressed were liberated, if all who are hungry were fed, if all who are deprived were satisfied with abundance, if all of our social problems were solved, but without forgiveness of sins, without reconciliation with God, and without eternal life, nothing would have a lasting value. Our life is so short. I, I realize, what, what, two and a half years, I'll be 90. And I realize it's like it's like waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror, and I'm a young, good-looking guy. <laughs> That's a little fictitious. little fiction there, good-looking. But, but it's like, I, I just went and got a little breakfast. I came back, looked in the mirror, and I'm an old man. That's how fast it goes. It's like a quick dream. And we need to realize that Jesus came to give us eternal blessings. So our greatest need is to be reconciled with the Holy God. We don't realize how susceptible our nature is to the dark side. We like to think of ourselves so good, but... It's, it's amazing to me what people are capable of doing that they would never imagine. Eli Wiesel, a survivor of a Nazi death camp, wrote in his autobiography, when rumors reached their little town of Romania of the Nazi cruelty towards the Jews, they refused to believe the rumors were true. And there was a reason. He said, the truth is that in spite of all we knew about Nazi Germany, we had confidence in German culture and humanity. We kept telling ourselves that this was all a civilized people. Yes, that is what our Jews in our town believed, including my mother, he wrote. We all fell in the trap history is set for us. During World War I, the German army rescued them from the Russian occupation who had been mistreating them, ridiculing them, beating them, robbing them because of their steep anti-Semitism. The Jewish people of his town refused that the sons of those Germans who were so faithful and good, helped them, delivered them from Russia, would be inhuman. There's evil in the human heart that's capable of doing terrible things. Listen to what God said through our Jewish prophet in Jeremiah 17, 9, 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. God says, I know it you're capable of. I know the pride that you're capable of. I know the anger you're capable of. I know the lust that you're capable of. I know the covetous that you're capable of. And the Lord said, I'm going to bring a salvation that will deliver you. In Psalm 119, the psalmist cried out, I long to see thy salvation, O Lord. It's God's salvation. It's not our salvation. It's a free salvation. I could not earn my salvation, nor can you. But Jesus earned it in bringing us salvation through his suffering. Let's scrutinize the character of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus came as a humble king. There was no pretension in Jesus. He came without any political or religious status. Zechariah 9.9 9 tells us, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly, humbly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's so much different than when he returns the second time when John said, I saw heaven open and a white horse and he that sat on it. His name was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he comes to judge and rule the nation with a rod of iron. What a difference, the two agendas. But Jesus was born in poverty. He had no political influence. The people were ready for the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but they weren't ready for the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. This is the wonderful message we have that Jesus came to save sinners. Wow. Listen to Isaiah, the Jewish prophet. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. My transgressions, my iniquity, nailed him to the cross. He suffered in my place. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How much clearer can it be that this Jewish prophet spoke of the coming of the Messiah to bring eternal salvation because our sins have to be forgiven. We have to find forgiveness. We don't have any idea of how sinful we are, potentially. We might think we're pretty good, but compare yourself to the righteousness of God, and you'll see why you need a Savior. Jesus is not only the humble king, but he's the righteous king. You see, there was a qualification for the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God had to be without blemish or spot. Zechariah nine says, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. The Hebrew word translated means he's righteous. Only Jesus was a perfect person. He had to be without sin or blemish. And the prophet Isaiah predicted this. Isaiah 53 verse 9. He had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. When Jesus spoke, he spoke the truth. And did you know that all the miracles that Jesus performed were good deeds? He liberated people from demon control. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He fed the hungry. He stilled the storms. His message was truthful and loving. He blessed his enemies and prayed for those who mistreated him on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They are killing the Lord of glory. They are rejecting the King of Messiah, the Promised One, the Holy One. They did not know what they were doing. He prayed for their forgiveness. So he had to be without blemish, and he could challenge his enemies. Listen to him in John 8, verse 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? I don't know of any man that could say, search my heart, search my mind, search my history, you can know everything, and which of you would convict me of sin? Only one who ever lived was Jesus. And the religious people could not find any moral with Jesus. They we, they opposed him out of selfish fear. Now after the joyous reception of Jesus by Jerusalem, the leaders became fearful and they had a secret meeting in John 11, 47. The leaders said, what are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing miracles Many miracle signs. You see, he didn't do this in secret. They knew he performed great miracles. Two of the uh, Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, recognized the authority that he was from God. He said, no man could do these miracles unless God is with him. But the rest of them closed their eyes. If we let him go on like this, they said, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they thought that Rome would be more powerful than God. And they were really concerned for their own position. They were concerned that the Romans would come and take away their nation, not realizing God is greater than Rome. And so, they rejected him. Now the Pharisees rejected Jesus because he was not a Pharisee. He did not support their oral traditions. The Sadducees rejected Jesus because he was not a Sadducee and did not support the corruption of the priests. And the Herodians rejected Jesus because he was not a Herodian, did not support the oppression of Rome. Now, if he had called the people to rebellion, they would have followed him. If he had said, let's raise the sword against Rome, the people would have followed him fully. But he said, they that live by the sword shall die by the sword. Now, so the uh, rejection of the, of the Messiah was also predicted by a Jewish prophet, Isaiah. I'm reading from the Tanakh. I'm reading from the Jewish Bible. And it says in Isaiah 53, three, And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We did not esteem him. We didn't look into his face. We hid our faces from him. We didn't want to see. We didn't want to know. We didn't want to have him as our king. They did not want him. Now, remember what happened. The Lord Jesus submitted himself to his enemies. It was his time to die. And Pilate brought Jesus out on a balcony, and Jesus had been beaten. He had a crown of thorns on his head, blood trickling down, He had a broken reed in his hand. They mocked him. They humiliated him. So the people of Israel could not forgive that, that their Messiah would be humiliated, not realizing he was taking upon himself all that we deserve, that he was to suffer for our sins. And when uh, Pilate said, Behold your king, they replied, "We have no king but Caesar. What should I do with him?" They say, "Crucify him." They could not forgive the humiliation that he went through. Listen to Isaiah 53:10. Seven hundred years before Jesus was put to death. yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise, bruise him. Why was it God's will? There was no other way of redemption. The world would have all been lost. We'd all go to hell. We'd all be judged. Human history would be uh, terminated. It was the will of the Lord to suffer. Did it, did it bring pain to the heart of the Father? Absolutely. That he had pain watching his son suffer. He has put him to grief. The Lord went through grief. When you shall make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. In the ancient Dead Sea Scrolls of Isaiah it reads, He shall see the light of life, which refers to his resurrection, after his death as a sin offering. And the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The Lord has a great ministry today, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and the pleasures of the Lord prosper in his hand. I'm glad I have an advocate to the Father. I'm glad that when the Lord saved me, he didn't just forgive me of my past sins, but he forgave me of my present sins and my future sins. I'm not a perfect man. I try to be, but I kid myself sometimes. Sometimes I'm thinking I'm doing it for the Lord and I'm doing it for myself. But I know this, that my salvation depends on the cross, on the resurrection, on the ascension, on the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, I want you to know that God is not finished with this world. You know, sometimes I pray ignorantly. I say, Lord, you know the devil is evil. Now, when he knows his time is over, He could say, I'm going to destroy the world. And I'm going to release men to destroy each other. And then I realized, hey, God knows about the devil. He knows what the devil is thinking before the devil thinks it. And God can take care of the devil. And here's what God prophesied in Daniel 7, 13. Daniel said, I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So the devil doesn't have a chance. He is defeated by the blood of Jesus and he's going to be totally defeated in the near future. But here's the wonderful news in 1 John three one, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. You know where I live now, Primrose, Most are believers, but there's one man that is a real skeptic of the Bible. And so I said to him the other day, I believe in the God of the Bible, not just because of what I read, but I experienced the presence of God. I know him. I see, as I look back, all the answers of prayer. So I'm praying for this man. I'm not going to give you his name, but pray that we'll be able to get him straightened out and to become a child of God. What manner of love? Oh, God loves us so much. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, you are so wise. Your wisdom is so infinite that you could work this out. As a holy God, you had to judge sin. You had to put an end to it. But as a loving God, you wanted to save man. And there was only one way, someone to take our place, to be punished without punishment, to take upon himself our sins. And no one else in all of creation and all of eternity was valuable enough, was priceless, that was the perfect sacrifice for sinners. Forgive us, Lord, for neglecting Jesus. There may be some here that are on the fence. May they get off the fence, accept the Lord Jesus, and find him to be a constant abiding friend. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We want to do your will. We want to serve you. And Lord, I pray that will be in the heart of every listener, to be a follower of Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen Amen. and hallelujah.